Man, I don't know about you, but I'm like, after that, I'm like, amen, let's sing hallelujah and go home, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a hard, hard thing to follow, but so awesome. And uh, I know Rusty's been excited about that because we've been talking about it on staff for a couple weeks now. So, uh, so just a time of rejoicing uh, with, the Moles, with the Moles family about that decision from Camden. So, uh, hey, we're glad you're here this morning, uh, getting into the time of the message. We're in a series now, uh, really focused on marriage called uh, Loving This Married Thing. And I want to begin this morning with, with a little story. There was a woman who went to uh, meet with a counselor, and she told the counselor, my husband is driving me crazy. I'm, I'm completely frustrated with him. And, and okay, the counselor said, well, let's, let's start, you know, with a, with a few questions first. And she said, well, like, like what? And, and, and he said, well, well, do you have, you know, any, any grounds? And she said, well, yeah, we have five acres out in the country. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Uh, what I mean is like, do you have a, do you have a grudge? And, and she said, well, no, but we have a nice carport and a storage shed and, and, you know, it's, well, let, let me ask this a different way. Do you have any complaints about him? And, and she said, well, like what? Well, like, does he beat you up? And she's like, no, 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 no. I beat him up by an hour every morning. I, I beat him up. And, and, well, what about your role in the issues here? I mean, do you ever wake up grouchy? And she's like, no, when he's grouchy, I let him sleep. And, you know, and so exasperated by this point, the marriage counselor asked, well, why exactly is your husband driving you crazy? And she said, well, he just doesn't communicate well. So, <laughs> for what it's worth, right? About two cents. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 27. Now, in a marriage series, you may say, well, this isn't a married scripture passage. No, this is more of a universal principle for all Christians that they should um, apply this. But uh, it's good. It's talking about communication. And I think how much more? Sometimes I read these passages of scripture that apply to all Christians. And I think how much more so in our marriage, right? And the one that we are yoked to, where the two have become one. How much more should these principles apply in a Christian home and in a Christian marriage? So it's in that spirit that we're going to be talking today about communication. Not just communication, but sanctified communication. What, how should Christians communicate in relationships and especially focused on marriage? Sanctified communication. So James uh, chapter 1, uh, near the end of, of your Bible, you turn there. Um, if, you're, if you're not following along your Bible, you're always welcome to follow along on your phone or your tablet. If you just download the Oakwood app and go to Sermon Notes, all the notes are there for you. And I know uh, many of us engage the Scripture that way, but we want you to engage the Word of God this morning. We believe the, the Word changes lives. And so let's read the text this morning. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19, begins by saying, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Now, we're going to pause there for a minute and make sure that we understand something this morning. When he says there, dear brothers and sisters, he's not talking about family members, as in your immediate family. He's talking about the family of God here. And he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters in the Lord, okay? So the message today, and this text in particular, is for Christians, for people who are saved, who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have made that decision to give their life to Christ. And so uh, this is an expectation for Christians. 
Now, if you are here this morning, and I just want to say welcome. If you are outside of Christ, you may, maybe never made that decision. Maybe you're thinking about it or praying about that. I just want you to understand this morning. If you apply this message today, you'll have a great life. You'll have a great marriage. But it's not expected of you. But if you are a Christian this morning, what we're about to read and talk about is expected of Christians. Okay? And that's why he starts out by saying, hey, brothers and sisters, in the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, because we've been talking about this, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, that's talking about the word of God, the word of grace, the word of the gospel. Humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Now, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You see, anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues Deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Out of the text this morning, I want to begin with this. In our marriages, we need to communicate with love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you may be saying, wow, that's, that's a lot of descriptors there. Now, some of you that, I mean, you've been you know, church people, you know, you'd be like, well, that just, some bells and whistles went off because those descripting words are actually found in another passage in Scripture in Galatians, chapter, chapter 5, I believe, which is that passage on the fruit of the Spirit. And you would be correct. And what I'm saying this morning is that if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, then when we communicate, and especially when we communicate in our marriage with our spouse, we should do so with love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's read that passage, okay? Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit... Now, we have to understand what is this fruit. This fruit is a spiritual fruit that is produced in a person that has given their life to Jesus Christ. So, again, we're talking about Christians here. We're talking about the saints, the saved ones. That this spiritual fruit is evidence of the work that God is doing in your life and your heart. And so these things should be on the growth, on the increase in your life if you are a believer. And Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, capital S on Spirit, right? Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, which means like being patient, bearing with one another, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, catch this, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And the flesh and the, and the sinfulness and, and, and all that is associated with that. Where we've crucified that with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, which means if we are walking with the Spirit, we should have the fruit of the Spirit, which means people would speak of us and say, as a Christian, I see love on the increase in their life. I see joy, characterized as a joyful person. I see them as being a peacemaker and a person that just just exudes peace. I see them as someone who forbears. It's not just getting along with someone. It's actually, it's actually forbearing with them. It's, it, it's beyond just putting up with them. It's, it's actually being patient with them, understanding them. Kindness, that we would be characterized and see an increase of kindness in our life. That we would be good people and pursuing the goodness that God asks of us. That we would be, uh, that we would be characterized by faithfulness and that we'd be gentle when those things come our way and the world says, hey, be harsh, be harsh, be harsh. Gentleness and self-control. That these would be on the increase in our life as evidence of our saved state, fruit of God's spirit. Now, in our text here, in verses 19 and 20, he says it this way, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That quick to listen means we should listen first, and I think we should listen longer. We should be quick to listen in such a way that our spouse feels heard. A lot of hurting marriages that I maybe um, have had the privilege of working with through the years, a lot of times they come in and one of them or maybe even both of them say, I I just don't feel heard. I don't feel understood, which makes me not feel loved. Quick to listen. Sometimes when we're listening, we, we we don't do it the right way or maybe even in the right spirit because we're trying to come up with our retort. I'm guilty of this all the time. You can ask my wife. Confessions of the pastor, right? I have so many times in trying to process and think about how I'm going to respond that I am not quick to listen. I'm quick to speak. And here it says, no, 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 no. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Isn't that funny how sometimes we get angry so fast? Have you ever experienced that in your marriage? It's just, I mean, it's like from zero to 90 and we are at it. And it's just, wow, that anger just, it's amazing how quick that is. And I think that's why he's using terminology here like slow to anger. Because when you're angry, do those discussions, we'll call them, um, end up well? (laughs) When they escalate and maybe you even escalate your voice, maybe you use language that you wouldn't normally use or you know you shouldn't use. And, and maybe you get in a state where you're so angry, you're actually trying to make your point, and they're not getting it, they're not listening, because neither one of you are being quick to listen. And so what you're going to do is you're going to now hurt them, you're going to harm them with the words, that word comes out of your mouth, and you're like, oh, I wish I could have that back. Oh, why did I say that? So hurtful. And now I can't take that back. And I wonder, let's give James some credit here and say he knows what he's talking being a Christ follower, being in the Bible, quick to listen. 
slow to have a comeback and slow to let it escalate to some sort of anger. And if anyone asks why, you know, because anger usually doesn't lead to anything good. And when anger controls and runs the conversation, usually nothing good is accomplished. But then there's this appeal that goes a little further in the text. Verse 20, read it again. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We need to be aware that anger doesn't usually lead to anything good. People that are angry, you don't like being around them. People that, when you are angry in your marriage, when you're angry in your communication, it is not producing anything good in your life, anything good in your marriage. Yeah, I say usually because anger in and of itself is not a sin, but it's what anger does. It's what we do with that feeling that becomes sin in our lives. And you've probably heard this text before. Ephesians chapter 4, right? Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. In your anger, in your feeling about anger and frustration, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Pretty plain, right, for Christians? Hey, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun, listen to this one, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, settle that matter today. Seek forgiveness today. Reconcile and peace in the relationship today. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, now we're at a whole other level. So you're telling me that if if we don't settle it today and we wake up tomorrow and I'm still in the fight and I'm still angry and I still feel the exact same way, that the devil gets some kind of foothold in my heart and in my life. That's why there's other passages of Scripture where we, we, we see it say that you should settle matters quickly with your adversary. Okay, you may say, well, you know, if we're talking marriage here, they're not my adversary, but sometimes it feels that way, let's be honest. <laughs> there are moments where, yeah, you have become my adversary. Go to your adversary and settle your matter quickly, and do not let the sun go down on your anger because it produces bad things the next day. Doesn't it kind of set the tone for the next day when you go to bed mad, or some of you go to couch mad? It doesn't, it doesn't provide anything good. Snicker there. Well, maybe somebody was on a couch last night. I didn't know nothing about that. I think also sometimes in our anger, if we're being honest, there's active and passive anger. There's active anger that's just, uh, you know, and you're lashing out, and you're using language, and you're yelling, and maybe escalated, and maybe you're throwing a, a pillow because you don't want to hurt them. You're throwing a pillow at them. They just don't get it. And, but there's also passive anger, which I think can be just as bad and maybe more bad and damaging. Passive anger doesn't really express anything. It just clams up, says nothing. On the outside, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But on the inside, it's like, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated right now. And you get in these passive and aggressive patterns in your life and in your marriage and in your communication. And that seems to be what leads to sin and struggles and heartache and negative outcomes for relationships. And how much more in this person that you're yoked to and this person that you've taken holy vows before God with. Being angry with your spouse, I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but what does it lead to? And think about how does it hurt? How does it hamper communication? How it escalates the small things and makes them big things and how it can put everyone on edge, maybe even your whole household on edge, right? Right? It's, it's something that puts you on edge. So be aware that anger usually doesn't lead to anything good. And then after this, in, in verses 19 and 20, he kind of goes down this path in verse 21 and following where it's, it's just kind of like, what, what, 
What is he talking about there? And there's just there's just this um, this urging of remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Remember your changed life in Christ Jesus. Remember who you are. Remember you were bought with a price. Remember that you are a Christian. You are a saved one. Remember your changed life in Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 21. It says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word, it's the word of God, the word of the gospel, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you if you respond. And then he says this in verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's interesting because you're thinking, how could listening to the word of God deceive me? It's because of something that happens that you actually listen to it and you say, uh-huh, that's awesome. I'm going to put that on the Bible app. I'm going to highlight that one, Bible app. Boop. I'm going to post that on Facebook right now. I like this verse. But what happens is we don't do what it says. I think that this probably happens every week in every church. As the word is preached and it goes out before the people, the people, they hear the word, they listen to the word, and they deceive themselves because they don't do what it says. They don't put it into practice. They actually don't live it, live it out. In fact, it might be happening right now in this room that you would listen to things like, hey, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, but you'd walk out of the church and that doesn't change a thing in your life. Then you're deceived. Not because you heard the word, not because it's not good and truth, but because you're not putting it into practice. See, some of us with an anger problem, maybe someone's pointed that out in our life, or maybe we've become aware of that. Put these things into practice, and maybe that comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? But this is just a reminder here. And, and then after verse 22, so in 22 he says, Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Then he gives us this illustration, which which is awesome. Verse 23 says, anyone who listens to the word and does not do, okay? So, so draw the distinction here. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Okay, we all do that before church, right? Well, most of us do it. I've seen some of you this morning. That's good. No, 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 most of, seriously, most of you on Sunday morning, I mean, you get up and you go to the mirror, right? And you put on your church wear and your pretty church face. And that's why the ladies of the church always look beautiful, you know, Sunday mornings. And, and what do you do? All of you did that in front of a mirror this morning, okay? Mirrors are common, you know, they're, they're always in our bathrooms. And um, now I live in a house with four ladies. And if you've seen the ladies in my house, they're all beautiful, okay? So there are mirrors in my home, but I have learned something over the years. There are never enough mirrors. Never enough mirrors. No, you need one in the bathroom, but the bathroom, it's a struggle sometimes when you're sharing space with your sister and, you know, you can have dual vanity, but there, you know, and, and sometimes you need a full length mirror, right? You know what that is? You know, every room, almost every room in my house, um, bedrooms have this full length mirror. And it's so we can see the shoes up to the crown of the head. Like, want to see the full body thing, but that's not where it stops. That's not where it stops. No, there are some mirrors, and these are the peer into the depths of your soul mirrors. Have you seen these? It's a little thing on a stand or it's handheld. It's got two sides and it's got the normal side. And if you hold it out here, you're like, hmm, okay. But then you flip it over to the side. It's a little bit concave and it's like a magnifier. And I mean, you can see every pore. 
even the ones that are clogged, you, I mean, you're, you're like, whoa. And it's like, peer into the depths of my very soul, turn that mirror over, right? It's like, I'm going to go back to the bathroom, stand five feet away, and I really like what I look like, and I'll just make sure I keep a, you know, what is that, six feet, yeah, keep six feet of distance between me and all the people so they don't peer. But he says that anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says, like someone who looks in the, at their face in the mirror, and then look in verse 24, and then after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately, immediately forgets what he looks like. To some degree, those of you that looked in the mirror this morning, which I said is most of us, there's a few that struggle with that, but that's okay. Um, but, but most of us that look in the mirror, you have some semblance of what you look like. Like you remember your hair color, you remember your, your glasses, you remember your makeup, ladies, and you remember, man, when I put on that mascara, whoo, my eyelashes look good. And oh, I look a little pasty, I look a little washed. I'm gonna put some of that blush on there. And oh, rosy cheeks going into the Christmas season. And you know, in the fall, and you know, you put, you do this stuff. You get in front of the mirror, and you look, but you remember what you look like. Like you just have semblance, some semblance of what you look like. And you, if I, if I said, close your eyes right now and think about what you look like, you remember what he's saying is that Christians that don't walk out the Word of God is like a person that looks at their face in the mirror, and two seconds later immediately forget what they look like. And you think about this, you go, well, how absurd. No one really does that. But that's what he's saying Christians do. When you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to the word, but I'm not going to apply it to my life. Oh, yeah, my marriage needs work, but I'm not going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm not going to communicate with love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm not going to do that stuff. I will listen to it. I will amen it. I will post it on my Instagram. I will make it look good. I will act like I'm into it. But when it comes to living this out, And James would say, don't deceive yourselves. It's not a game. It's not fake. It's reality. Apply the word to your life. Is it hard? Yeah. That's why it keeps talking about the spirit. You need God's help. You need the Holy Spirit to live these things out. But those who are Christians, it's an expectation to live this out. Those of you that don't have that relationship with Christ yet, and I'm praying that it's yet. I'm praying that we see you in the baptistry someday. Those of you that are not there yet, if you apply these things, you'll find out your relationships and especially your marriage is going to get so much better. But this is more, it's, it's, not, it's not about behavior. I think so many times we boil this down, it's behavioral. You know, we just change the behavior. No, this is your identity. He's saying you forget what you look like. This is an identity thing. This is not a behavior modification thing. This is your identity in Christ Jesus. That when Father God looks down on you in your state of sinfulness, he sees it through this filter of the blood of Christ Jesus who forgives your sins. And he sees you as righteous because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And when you become a Christian, your identity, your very identity changes. Let's read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be on the screens for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, says this. So... From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We're not going to look at him as just like another person. We're looking at the Son of God here. Look what it says in verse 17. Therefore, because of this, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Did you catch that? The old has gone, all the old ways of life, all the sinfulness and the sin patterns and all that have gone, and the new person, the new creation, 
created in Christ Jesus, is here. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Oh, man. <laughs> Where we have a ministry of reconciliation to the world, and how much more in our marriage should we have this ministry of reconciliation? How much more in our relationships in God's church and between friends? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Notice it says that we wouldn't act like we have the righteousness of God. We wouldn't behave like the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God. It's an identity thing, 110%. And when you look in the mirror, you don't forget what you look like. If you are God's child, if you are saved by grace, you know what God has called you to do. We read the scripture every week. Don't deceive yourselves. Live it out and do what it says. And apply it to your life. Apply it to your marriage. Live out the life that he has called you to in Christ Jesus. And remember, your changed life in Christ Jesus is an identity of who you are. Last thing this morning, always keep your tongue in check. It's kind of weird. You read this whole passage, but look down at verse 26 as we get to the end of James chapter 1 there. He says, those who consider themselves religious, hmm, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, hmm, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Oh, how many times do we see social media posts? Right? I mean, I don't even have to say it. Everybody is thinking the same thing right now. Now, some of us may be like sinking in our seat a little bit because we did that this week, last night, or this morning. Some of us, we've read it and we saw it, but the tongue, the tongue. Those who consider themselves religious and and yet do not keep a tight ring on that tongue and what proceeds from their mouth, they deceive themselves. Wait, we heard that deceive themselves. That was the same thing as people who listen to the word and don't do what it says, deceive themselves. Here he's also saying that you deceive yourself if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue. You deceive yourself. Your religion is worthless. Like if you thought you had some witness, uh, you don't anymore. <laughs> everybody just heard you. Or maybe for some of you, everybody just saw your rant, your post, how you're going to fix the grave injustices of the world by posting online and getting a negative response. And what he's saying here is to always keep that tongue in check. Strong words, but a great reminder about how we need to communicate as Christians. It's interesting because he doesn't stop there. I mean, there's some pretty strong words in James 1.26, but look what he says in chapter 3. So if you're in James 1, just go over to James 3, beginning with verse 3 there. He goes on a whole thing about the tongue. Listen to what he says. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. If you don't get the horse illustration, they put a bit in its mouth, put the reins behind its head, and you go like this, and that bit is controlling that horse, and it's going to go where you lead it to go. 
And he goes on, he says, another example, or take ships as an example, big ships. I mean, think of some of the size of some of the ships that we have today. He says, or take ships for an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds or nuclear power, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. That's universal. Any ship, small rudder. Those, those rudders aren't that big. I mean, when you take the dimensions of this boat and you think the rudder steers that whole thing, it's a small little thing. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. It is a world of evil amongst parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James has got some feelings, okay? All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, sometimes even our spouse, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Why? Because you're a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And so through God's guiding, capital S, spirit, we're going to take not only every thought captive and bring it under the lordship of Christ Jesus, but we're going to sanctify our communication. And the words that proceed from our mouth are going to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And some of you can make a commitment today that the way that you've been talking to or about your spouse or to or about other people, you can bring that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ today and have sanctified communication. Now, here's the thing. Again, if you're a Christian today, this is what you signed up for. This is an expectation. This should be something that's on the increase in your life, this tongue being more bridled and more self-controlled. The fruit of a saved life that is really, truly following Jesus Christ. No, we don't have a different language we use at work and a different language we use in the church lobby. No, it is the same. We are consistent. We're not going to deceive ourselves and listen to this word. We're actually going to put it into practice and do what it says. And when we talk to our spouse, we're going to do it with TLC. Some tender, loving care. And I wonder how our marriages might change if we put James chapter 1, 19 through 27 into practice in our homes and in our marriages and in our lives. And even when we have those disagreements, what if we were quick to listen, slow to respond, slow to let it escalate to some type of of anger. I wonder how our marriages and maybe our context at home and our family situations might change. I wonder how our workplaces might change. I wonder how some of our friendships and relationships and maybe even some of our relationships at church might change if we brought them under the lordship of Christ Jesus. When I was thinking about listening quickly this week and I was thinking about Jesus, one of the things I've picked up on the last few years that I just see it all throughout the New Testament in the Gospels, is how many times Jesus is teaching. And if you think about it, the Son of God's teaching, he wants people to listen, right? Right? But in the spirit of James, he was, doesn't want them to merely listen. He wants them to 
respond to the gospel and to go and live it out for some of that some of those that meant to go you know to go get saved to make a decision to put the lordship of Christ as the head and the start of your life but there's so many times where he teaches and at the end of his teaching and it's something I mean don't get me wrong here some of those Jesus's teaching is really hard but he would say this he who has ears to hear let him hear it was just kind of like he would teach and he'd say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what Jesus was saying is some of you get this and some of you don't. Some of you are going to hear this and you're going to respond. Some of you are going to hear it and go, hey, nice, good sermon today, pastor. That's great. Love that script. In fact, it's on my Facebook already. Amazing. Bible app highlighted. It is awesome. I mean, love it, but you're going to deceive yourself again because you're not putting it into practice. It almost reminded me also of this scripture that Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They hear. They don't do anything. It doesn't change anything. And they'll come in Sunday morning, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Folks, this morning... What Jesus wants more than anything else is not for you to change your behavior, but for you to change your heart and to set it on him. Because guess what? The behavior will follow your heart. It will. If you're sold out and living for Christ Jesus, your behavior will line up with that. And if you're sold out and living for this moment or living for the world, your behavior will follow that. The, beha the behavior will just simply follow the heart. That's why Christ Jesus died for us, to offer us hope. It's a reset button. It, it, it's a time where you can come under and be, be a new creation. I mean, isn't that exciting? You have hope of the future because of what Christ did for us. You become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come.